Hey friends, so good to be with you from wherever you're tuning in. My name is Herrick, I'm one of the pastors of Resort Temecula and I wanna welcome you to our Sunday message and, uh, and worship time. If you are new, we have been going through the Gospel of John in a series called Jesus Is. We're gonna continue that uh, today. But uh, before, before I do, I wanna just tell you like how much I miss seeing you guys. I miss seeing your faces. Uh, we've, been, we've been looking for a place to meet, a place to gather on Sundays. And uh, we did a walkthrough this week, and I remember it was a, it was a space that was dedicated, uh, a dedicated church space. And I remember going up to the pulpit and looking out of the you know, empty rows of seats in this uh, particular sanctuary. And I just remember like, man, I, thinking I could see your faces in the, in the seats and just remember thinking, man, I miss this. I miss seeing people's faces. I, miss, I love doing this work, even if it's through a camera. It's a really important work and I wanna to continue to do it, but I just miss seeing your faces and being with you. I just want you to know that I miss you, church. And I'd also encourage you to keep praying for us. We're doing, our staff team is spending a lot of time looking for places. Uh, as any family that's moved, you know that uh, families have different needs. Each family is a little bit different. And even in each season, every family is gonna have slightly different needs. So we are, we're learning with every walkthrough what our church family needs. And so our searches are getting more tailored and specific uh, for what this community needs. So please be praying. And, uh, and we, yeah, just appreciate that so much. So with that said, uh, Gospel of John today, we're going to be looking at uh, some words of Jesus. The Gospel of John is deep, it's rich, it's relevant. It's a, it's a work of antiquity, but it is so relevant for our lives today. Uh, so I'm excited that you're, you're tuning in. I want to pray and ask the Spirit really to speak uh, through this, this text, through this message to you. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to pray with me before we dive in. Um, and I'm actually going to read some words from the scriptures. I think that were just jumping out at the page to me. I want to pray them over our community. So, Father, I want to thank you that you're with us in these times that we live in. And I really want to pray the words of Isaiah 55 over our community. These are your words to your people. And I think I just want, I want what you're saying to be true in, in our community. It says this, I don't think the way you think. The way you work isn't the way that I work, says the Lord. For as the sky soars high above the earth, so the way I work surpasses the way you work, and the way I think is beyond what you think. Just as rain and snow descend from the skies and don't go back up until they've watered the earth and doing the work of making things grow and blossom, producing seed for farmers and food for the hungry, so will the words that come out of my mouth, this God's mouth, will not come back empty-handed. They'll do the work that the Lord sent them to do. They'll complete the assignment that they were given. So Father, I wanna thank you that your, is that even as it's raining right now in Southern California, that just that picture of when it rains, yes, it's, it's grinds life a bit to, to, the, to a halt as we're experiencing to some degree right now. But afterwards, there's this beautiful growth. Things get green and, and they look alive. And I thank you that in your word, it says that that's what happens when your word goes out. And so I pray that that would happen in this message and that so that we would go out in joy and be led into a whole and complete life, just like it says in Isaiah 55. We pray all of these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So today we'll be diving into John 16. And to set up our time, I want to read something to you. It's actually something that came, uh, Andrea from our church sent it to me. 
And she didn't know that I was preaching this message, but I thought it was just so on point as a way to kind of frame our message. So here we go. This is a quote. It's a story that I think will actually help us prepare to receive the words of Jesus. So in 1952, a woman named Florence Chadwick uh, decided to attempt the 26-mile swim between the California coastline and Catalina Island, which is awesome because we live in Southern California. Many of you have probably been or seen Catalina Island, so this this pops, uh, pr- most likely for most of you. So I did a little bit of research. 26 miles, what, what does that mean exactly? Um, most college and high school swimming pools are actually about 25 yards in length. So like one lap or length is 25 yards, so, you know, two, three, four, so on and so forth. Um, how many laps would you have to actually swim? So one, two, three, four, five, until you hit a mile. The answer is 66 laps. And I was, I was thinking about it, I was like, I think I would probably tap out after like a handful. Probably I, thinking about anything more than that just kind of makes me tired just thinking about it. I would need about 60 more just to get to one mile. So imagine 26 miles. How amazing is that? You would actually have to swim 1,700 laps in order to do the equivalent of a 26-mile swim, which is just wild. Now try doing that in the open ocean. Okay, it takes a ton of courage to even dream of it, let alone actually try. And this is the 1950s, so you have to think, there's 70 years of technology, of improvement in terms of coaching you know, strategies and advances in training and so on. So this is really bold stuff. So during her swim, Chadwick traveled with a team whose job it was to keep an eye out for guests, you, you probably guessed it, sharks and to be prepared to assist in the event of unexpected cramps, injury, or fatigue, which at this point, if you're swimming 26 miles, what cramps, injury, or fatigue would be unexpected? Wouldn't they all be expected? I mean, it just gives you the mindset, like how tough of a person this is. Roughly 15 hours into her swim, a thick fog, which we, we know, California, off the coast, there's a marine layer, a thick fog that, that can, can set in, and in, in this case, as she had been 15 miles into her swim, this fog set in and it clouded her vision. And this is key, it also clouded her confidence. So her mother actually happened to be in one of the boats at the time as she, as, as this woman, she actually relayed to her team that she didn't think that she could complete the swim. And so she swam for another hour before deciding to call it quits. Now this was someone who was Obviously very courageous, bold, she was dedicated. Uh, She had been training for this and she was prepared for this. Even so, she lost her sense of direction and purpose amidst really confusing and difficult circumstances and she gave up. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not bashing her for, for not finishing the race. If anything, I'm telling you the story because it resonates with me. As a disciple of Jesus, I've been thinking about the story, thinking about this text, and here's, here's where my thinking is at, at the moment. I feel as though we're living in a deeply confusing time. There have been moments where the, the political chaos of our nation has just wound up on our doorstep as the church. The, the division and the confusion over the pandemic that have strained relationships and brought up suspicion. Um, there's conflict that's emerged in the wake of it all as we're struggling to process the magnitude of all that's happened, all that's changed over the last 10 or 11 months. Really hard stuff. It's been incredibly difficult in some ways for for workers, 
children have lost so much of the structure of their lives with school and sports and friendships. Such a challenging time. Spouses now have little margin for each other and, and many marriages are, are we're, you know, we're finding more arguing and bickering happening in our homes. Parents are trying to do the best they can with their children, but their children are struggling and so are they. And so many of us as disciples are just longing for the day when we can be together raising our voices to worship King Jesus as the gathered church on the Lord's Day on the Sunday. Emotions are big. Patience, in some cases, is running dangerously low. The stress and the strain of it all, I think, have left me and then likely you to some degree or another feeling fatigued and at times as though we're in a fog. What's, what am I saying? I think it's very, very easy right now to lose our way as disciples of Jesus at the moment and feel tempted to get overwhelmed and possibly even feel like quitting because of how overwhelmed we are and how hard it is to see the finish line. If that's you, I have really good news. If, even if that's not you today, that may be you tomorrow or the next day. Either way, today there, there are people in this community, in your gospel community, in, in this church family who are confused and hurting and they're fellow members of God's household together. And so I want to ask you to stay with me, no matter where you're at today. Jesus' words out of John 16 really are good news for each of us today, and I think if we'll receive them, and then they can really remind us to be gentle with each other, generous, gracious, understanding, loving, and encouraging each other in light of all the things that we're facing and what God says to us through this text. How does Jesus responds to disciples who are or will be overcome by blinding fog and crippling fatigue. Let's turn over to John 16, verses 16 to 22 to find out. The verses will be here. So a quick context. We've been working through the Gospel of John and we've been seeing Jesus do some signs and wonders that are, the world has never seen before. And he's revealing that he's the savior of the world and its true king. He's about to go to his death, and so he's been preparing his disciples for what's next. So I'm just going to go ahead and read all the verses, John 16, 16 to 22, and then we'll unpack uh, a bit later. So here we go. John 16, 16 says this. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, in a little while, you will no longer see me. Again, in a little while, you will see me. Then some of his disciples said to one another, what is this he's telling us? In a little while, you will not see me. Again, in a little while, you will see me. And because I am going to the Father, like, they said, what is it that he's saying in a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. 19, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. And so he said to them, are you asking one another about what I said? In a little while, you will see me. You will not see me. Again, in a little while, you will see me. Truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn, and the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Verse 21, when a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away your joy from you. Okay, we're going to quickly, 
we're gonna, I'm gonna try to do this quickly. We're gonna talk through three things as we unpack this text. So I'm just gonna look at three questions uh, this, this morning, afternoon, whenever you're tuning in. Uh, what is Jesus talking about? Number one, what is Jesus talking about? Two, how would it have helped his disciples? And three, what does this mean for us today? So number one, what is Jesus talking about? The, the, the disciples were confused, weren't they? Jesus is saying, in a little while, you won't see me, and in a little while, you will. And you can imagine the disciples thinking, you are a puzzle, Jesus. Again, think about their perspective. They're living this out. We're reading about it. We have the benefit of hindsight, but these disciples haven't seen what's to come yet. So they're puzzled. And Jesus knows these disciples are struggling to get it. And maybe they're not so comfortable saying, um, we don't know what you're saying. Why don't you tell us what you're saying? Jesus, why don't you speak plainly? And he knows all this without a word. He knows it's in the heart of each person, according to John 2, 24 to 25. And I got a text uh, today that, where someone said this, which I think was right on point for this. He is relationally responsive to wherever we're at. That's how good he is to us. So Jesus then, he, and he knows what they're thinking, and he moves towards them. And he explains, you will meet, weep, and mourn, but the world will rejoice. And you can imagine the disciples going, what's he talking about? Do you know? James? Big J? Little James? No idea. What's he talking about? Then Jesus says, your sorrow will be turned into joy. And they're like, do you get that? John? Peter, do you get it? And it's just, Bartholomew, do you get it? Nobody gets what he's talking about. And then I can imagine one of them saying, maybe he'll tell us one of his little stories to try to make it easier for us to understand. And then Jesus says, when a woman is in labor, and then all of them are like, see, knew it. Here he goes. So, so Jesus goes on to, to use childbirth as a picture of what the disciples are going to experience. So I want to quote quickly one John scholar who puts it this way. It's like Jesus is saying this. The pain of childbirth can be excruciating, but afterwards, the joy of a child born into the world completely overshadows the pain. Jesus said to his disciples, so with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. The disciples are like, cool story, Jesus. We have no idea what you're talking about. And to be fair to Jesus, you know, you try getting through to these guys and explaining to them that the moment that would trigger the deepest pain in their lives become the source of greatest joy the world has ever known. It's hard to get that across. But here's what I believe Jesus is saying. He's telling the disciples, my death will leave you. Uh, disciples so overwhelmed with pain, with sorrow and confusion. It's like a woman in the hardest part of her labor. Okay, you'll, you may want to give up. But as a woman who's given birth can tell you, when that transition hits, it's just a little while longer before the joy of new life overshadows the pain. In other words, when Jesus would rise to life after three days in the grave, their joy of seeing him again alive from the dead would overshadow the pain. The disciples' pain, as confusing as it was and as deep as it went, it was temporary. Their joy, however, would have no end in his presence as the risen king. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 1611, true of Jesus. So that's what Jesus is saying. How would it, so the second thing I want to look at, how would it have helped his disciples? 
And as I, I thought about this question, I couldn't help but think about, like I often do, about a story. So I thought about J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. And, and if you're unfamiliar with the story, uh, there's a group of men, elves, dwarves, hobbits, and a wizard. And they're, they've set, on, set out on a journey to destroy a ring of power that could plunge their world into destruction and ruin if it gets back into the hands of its evil owner, Sauron. So Gandalf is one member of the fellowship, and he's, he's wonderfully wise. He's kind, he's self-giving, he's, he's remarkably powerful, he's a wizard, and he provides leadership to the mission. So if you haven't figured this out yet, this is a fantasy story. Um, but the, the fellowship encounters all kinds of danger and peril, as you might expect, and at one point they face a powerful demon that no one in the fellowship can withstand except for Gandalf, the wizard. During the course of the battle, uh, Gandalf kills the demon, but he himself is killed in the process. And so it leaves his, his fragile and vulnerable fellowship without their trusted leader and friend, while they still needed to finish the mission of destroying the ring. I mean, the world depends on this. And if you watch the movie, like the depth of their pain and sorrow and anguish at the loss of their beloved leader Gandalf is deeply moving. There's agony, confusion, and fear about how to continue this mission without him. Jesus' disciples are facing something similar. The fate of our world rested and depended on the success or the failure of the mission that Jesus was leading these men on, his disciples to proclaim the good news that God's kingdom has arrived and the king has come to set captives free. Jesus' death, with that said, would cause his disciples just such pain and confusion that they could even become overwhelmed to the point of giving up. And Jesus wants them to be prepared. He wants them not to stumble and fall before they reach the finish line. Once the disciples understood what Jesus was saying, which by the way, they haven't yet at this point in the story, that'll only come later, they'll know that after this, the moment of the cross would be the moment of deepest pain and sorrow and confusion. At that moment, what comes after will bring them the joy of understanding that the light of the world would shine again. It would overshadow the darkness of his death because of his resurrection. In a little while, a minute you won't see me, in a little while you will. So much like the Fellowship of the Ring, which lost Gandalf only to receive him back because Gandalf was in this Tolkien's world. He was immortal and death could not hold him. Gandalf would return to the utter amazement and delight of the fellowship to complete the mission. So it is with Jesus and his disciples. So what does this mean? This is number three. What does this mean for us today? So just as Jesus told his disciples, don't lose heart over the pains and sufferings you face in this world, but trust me, because in a little while you will see me. So we too can't give up hope when things get hard and even excruciatingly hard as disciples of Jesus. Because what's the temptation? At the end of the day, when spiritual confusion and fatigue set in, when the fog is thickest, we're tempted to doubt him and possibly start looking for a way out, some sort of escape. Why is this a big deal? Let me take you back to the story that I opened with, with Florence Chadwick, who uh, 
called for a boat and said that she couldn't continue on after 16 hours of swimming from the California coast, trying to find Catalina, getting lost in the thick fog. As she sat in a boat that was teetering, she discovered that if she had just continued for one more mile, she would have reached Catalina Island. Without realizing it, she had already done 25 miles and it was just a little longer. I think this story is so on point. And as I've had a chance to think about it, I just wanna quickly share how I'm processing this, how, how these, these words of Jesus are affecting me and how I'm internalizing them. So I wanna take you through just the last like, couple of weeks. Uh, it's, been, it's been a challenge. It feels like there's just a lot of different things that are coming my way. I think it's, that's true for everybody. Um, I think it's just, it's a season where there's much going on in the world and so there's much going on with people and so there's much going on uh, in my world. And so uh, it's been a challenging, kind of exhausting time to navigate through. And in my home, uh, the last couple of weeks, it felt like it's been, like we've had a lot of difficulties with one of our kids. And specifically, there's, we hit a point where things got extremely hard. We're like small things, small changes and to our day or to our plans just set off really big reactions. And as I thought about it, it makes sense. I mean, we've, especially our kids have just had so many things taken, so many things canceled. It's almost like I can't handle one more thing not, that I was expecting not going my way. So it was hard, but it was just like one thing after another, after another that led to these kind of uh, moments where the family life would grind to a halt because of a meltdown or a tantrum of sorts. And it, it was getting hard because it was having, happening multiple times a day to the point where it was hard to do much of anything. Um, but I try to address this situation that one of our children is facing. And in hindsight, I realized that God was actually doing a deep work in me through this process. He was teaching me how to be present and parent with patience and grace and compassion and prioritizing not comfort or ease or control of the situation, but my child being conformed to the image of Jesus. God was working in me, possibly even more than in my child. And then things, things started to change. Though it got really hard and difficult and painful, it, they started to change. And obviously it's far from perfect, it's always a process, but I feel like through this really difficult moment and moments that were all kind of clustered together, I feel like I came away with this new sense of commitment, a fresh sense of commitment and resolve to love and parent in a way that reflects how God has loved and parented me. So my tone is softening and my desire to hurry through things to get to, to escape the problem. Okay, like parents, maybe, you've, maybe you can relate to this, like that dream of like, oh, I wonder if there's a train that goes through Temecula to Canada that I can get on. I speak a little French, I can, I can manage. Or, uh, you know, Guatemala is nice this time of year if we head south, like that escape you know, mentality that, um, that comes in, it's starting to, I'm starting to realize it, though I make a joke about it, there's a reality to it that sometimes I just wanna get out and it's coming into sharper focus so I can deal with it. And I can honestly say that I, I want 
in these tough moments with, my, with, with this child and with any of my kids, really, um, I want more and more to preserve and build trust, to bless my child and to really help them experience the Father's love through me. And I know I've used, you know, kind of a lot of parenting uh, stories lately or told a lot of parenting stories lately, lately. For those of you who aren't parents, just think spiritual parenting. This, all this stuff could apply with your roommates. It could apply with people in your work. It could apply with people in the community. This desire to, for people to experience his love through me that's being tested because of these difficult moments that's being refined and purified even as the pressure has increased. But at first, things are changing and things, there's, there's a new level of, okay, I think I know what to do when these moments come up and they've been coming up less and less and less. But at first it was really painful and super confusing and I wanted to quit. Again, maybe you can relate to that in some way in one of, some of your relationships in life or situations that you're facing. The text here is teaching me, it's teaching me among other things that as one scholar put it, the greatest spiritual progress often follows the greatest sufferings. I'm gonna repeat that. It's worth writing down. The greatest spiritual progress often follows the greatest sufferings. Allow me to take you back to the story that I opened with. One more time. Two months after this woman, Chad, her attempt to swim failed, two months after that, she tried again. Once again, a thick fog set in, believe it or not. Same woman trying once again to swim to Catalina from the Pacific, from the coast, and fog set in. Second attempt. This time though, she had a mental image of the shoreline in her mind as she pushed herself along. And not only did she succeed, but Chadwick actually ended up making the swim an additional two times. So she did it three times. She failed the first time, if we can even call it a failure. Um, she didn't make it the first time, but then the next three times, she did. For good measure, believe it or not, she actually became the first woman to swim the English Channel in both directions and she did it in record times. So in these wild and confusing times that we live in, we must remember that even when it's foggiest out and, and it's hard to see the finish line, that the greatest progress often follows the greatest suffering. And as a community, as gospel communities, as brothers and sisters, we can strengthen and encourage one another to keep going, to keep swimming. Much in the same way, I think it's important for me to note that the disciples whom Jesus was seeking to strengthen with these words, they actually got lost in the fog and confusion later. They scattered when Jesus died. Nevertheless, they bounced back and they persevered through it. And as you probably know, and if you don't, they went on to do extraordinary things. They kept seeking the kingdom of God together and seeking to welcome all who want King Jesus to rule and reign over them. They turned the world upside down, or maybe a better way to put it is they turned the world right side up. Though the fog would grow thick for these disciples, they always remembered Jesus. They always remembered Jesus. 
and that he's, his, his light is still shining, even if the fog is making it hard to see. They had a true north, so they knew how to sail through the fog until it cleared or swim through it. So I want to ask a question. What fog and confusion are you facing today? How are you tempted to give up or to compromise as a disciple of Jesus? And are you weary? I think so, so many of us, if we're honest, we, we would have to say that we're weary, really tired. In some cases, maybe even sliding into apathy. And has it been hard to see the beauty and splendor of our King? Has it been hard amidst everything that's going on to really make space for His words and to really consider His ways and how to apply them to the present moment that we're facing? His gracious, loving, wise ways and how they apply to this world that we're in. And has it been hard to be with His people in His presence? I want to ask this too. Are there voices in the culture that are shaping what you think and how you think? Are these voices calling you to gather at the feet of King Jesus alongside all who would call on his name, whatever their politics, whatever their ethnicity, whatever their socioeconomic status, whatever their gender, are those voices that are most shaping you, calling you to, to unify around King Jesus, his words and his ways? Or are the voices that you're listening to kind of calling you shaping you, influencing you in a way where you become suspicious and distrustful of people, where you, uh, uh, you know, inadvertently kind of pull back and gather into a silo or like an ideological uh, echo chamber and then do battle with the people that God made in his image who are not the enemy. Satan's the enemy. People are not. Let me just be very clear. The voice of our shepherd is to is the, the, the voice of one who gathers his sheep together in unity and in love amidst diversity. And is the longing of your heart to be joyfully united as a people in his presence just a little while longer, friends? God is doing amazing things in this season of waiting and wilderness if we'll receive it. Okay, one last thing. Here's a quote that I want to read to you to think about. I thought about a woman in labor, the dreadful transition period. It's the most excruciatingly painful part of the entire process. But it is the grand finale, the final fireworks show right before the new life enters the world. In a terrible, beautiful way, it, it comforts the soon-to-be mom with the tangible hope of just a little longer. Maybe this is why the discouragement and weariness have been turned up in this season for our community, for the church, in a sense, on, on, at large. The acute awareness of loss and desperation. We are so close. It's just a little bit longer. Praise. So I want to encourage you, whether you're confused in a fog or you're feeling like you're in like the transition part of a pregnancy, we must remember the words of Jesus in this text to us are just a little longer. With that said, 
I want to usher us into a time of worship. We get to worship this King Jesus together. In our homes, wherever you're tuning in from, I wanna encourage you to cry out to the one, the, the good king, the good shepherd who gathers his flock, who helps his sheep through difficult seasons and encourages us as his people to remember just a little longer. So praise him, worship him, enjoy him. Love you, church. Grace and peace to you. Cannot wait to be with you together soon.